Well, I'm so, uh, I'm really glad to be here with you all tonight. I got to do this several years ago. I don't know how many years, but it, it was quite a while ago and honored to be asked to come back. I, I have so much love and respect for your pastors um, and for this, for this church. Uh, we're, we're just so happy uh, at what God is, has done here and is doing here and, and, um, to have gotten to have a connection uh, with it, it's uh, it's really sweet to us, and um, thankful for um, uh, your faithfulness. I, I was I was meeting with a group of pastors in Logan County over lunch earlier today, and um, I guess when you've tried to do this for four decades, you get asked to do stuff like that. So they asked, they were asking for advice and stuff, and and one of the things. I, the main thing I said was just stay put, stay put. You're gonna, there are things that you can't learn if you keep moving around. You can only learn if you stay put. There's things the church you're pastoring can only learn if you stay put. So um, anyway, so y'all are 13 years in. The three pastors that planted this church stay right here with you and the Lord's adding to their number. And, uh, and uh, one, one fellow I met said, I'm just a member. I was like, I don't, don't say that. Um, uh, membership is, is really a wonderful thing. And so there are no, I appreciate his self-deprecation, but there's, there's really no just a member people. So anyway, I just, we're just, I'm just thrilled to be with you and love what you're doing, what God is doing. I don't know if you need what I'm, what I'm preaching tonight. I suspect you don't. And if you don't, uh, then receive it as encouragement uh, just to keep doing what you're what you're doing because in my estimation on this topic uh, you're just you're really doing well I suppose all the churches could do better uh, I hope in some ways we grow up um, uh, into this uh, better at Rich Pond so um, just one little verse Proverbs seventeen seventeen. although we're going to be all over the map in Proverbs, and I just want to talk to you about friendship uh, from the book of Proverbs, a little bit beyond that from um, all of Scripture. It's hard to preach expositionally from Proverbs. It, it's, there tend to be themes that kind of run through the book, and so it's a little out of my wheelhouse. I preached a series out of Proverbs sort of spring and summer at Rich Pond, and, and uh, so I, I, I found that challenging usually I like to just plant somewhere and stay put there stay put but um, can't do Proverbs that way at least I can't do it and uh, so we, we we'll we'll kind of launch from here but we'll be here in some other spots so kind of have your Bibles ready um, I think I think the notion of friendship is a challenge particularly for men I think that's why uh, I felt led uh, to to go there with you tonight uh, we 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 struggle with it um, but in the history of the church, it really wasn't a struggle. Uh, the ancient believers understood that Christian friendship was a spiritual discipline. It was one of the primary ways that God would, would shape his people. Uh, if you study patristics, the church fathers, you'll find many of them actually living into that way of, of uh, following Christ. And um, they, they would just rank it right up there with Bible intake and prayer and, and uh, 
coming to the worship gathering and those kind of things. It, it, spiritual friendship was crucial to them. If you fast forward Reformation and especially into the 18th century during the, the Great Awakening, both in uh, Evangelical Week in England and Great Awakening here in America, uh, and, and, sort of the, and then the fruit of that awakening, there were really close friendships that God did amazing things out of in the, in the lives of men and women, but then also kind of coming out of that. Um, you could argue that the, um, the launching of modern missions among Baptists was the fruit of friendships of Andrew Fuller and William Carey um, and John Ryland Jr. and Samuel Pierce and one other, I'm forgetting the fifth name. Anybody know the other one? Anyway, th th those, those guys just, they love the Lord together, they walk together, and, and God um, stirred their souls for the nations, and, and uh, William Carey goes off to India, and there you have it, but really birthed out of, out of those kind of friendships. Uh, in, in modern day, we're, we're struggling with that, particularly men struggle with it. I think as a general rule, Christ Fellowship may be an exception, and if it is, then praise God, uh, but... As a general rule, I think our wives, the sisters, tend to do better at this than we do. Uh, men, we, we struggle with it. And um, so I'll just read you a quote here from, I don't know if I can pronounce this guy's name right, but James Wagenvord. Vord. <laughs> but anyway, he wrote, a, uh, he wrote a book to help women understand men. And uh, this is a quote from the book, uh, speaking of us. He shall not cry. He shall not display weakness. He shall not need affection or gentleness or warmth. He shall comfort but not desire comforting. He shall be needed but not need. He shall touch but not be touched. He shall be steel, not flesh. He shall be inviolate in his manhood. He shall stand alone. I think he's getting at the kind of the modern notion of what in the broader culture is, is believed masculinity is, is supposed to be, that we're to be like that. There's an expectation of it. And to be less than that is to be weak. Uh, so we're supposed to be autonomous and, um, and to be able to stand on our own two feet. We're guys. Whatever life brings us, we should be able to chew it up and spit it out. And uh, Scripture points us in a different direction. And uh, I want to try to join Scripture and the Holy Spirit in pointing you in a different direction t tonight. Um, uh, we're, we're on the way to that as a church at Rich Pond. Um, and you may be further down that path if you are, then praise God. So if it's rebuke you, you need, then receive it. If it's encouragement, then receive it that way. Um, but this... Um, really matters. Uh, I, I think in the, in the modern age, the technology sort of both blesses and curses us, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm very much a dinosaur. You're probably already figuring that out if you don't know me. Um, and so I've never done any of, I don't do Facebook or any of the other stuff. I don't, I've never tweeted a thing in my life. I don't do any of that. And, uh, and I struggled with conscience issues over it for a time. But during COVID, I talked to pastors who've been doing all that stuff. And they were like, 
I wish I'd never started that. And I was like, okay, I think I'll just stay where I am. I'll just stay disconnected. But, but there are things that I like about it. Like on Wednesday night, I live stream my Bible study. And, uh, and I've got friend, Indian friends, Native American friends from Montana that I pastored 35 years ago that are on that live stream on Wednesday nights. And I love, you know, I love that. So I love the connection. But don't you think there's a reality where we're, we're a little bit connected with a thousand people, but not really deeply connected with anyone? And I, I don't think that's helping us all that much. Um, so I want to talk to you about that as the Lord gives us grace. So um, Proverbs 17, 17. I normally have people stand, but this is a really short verse. So I think I'm just going to, are you all okay? I know you're young and everything, but I think I'll just leave you down, uh, read the verse, pray a bit, and then try to preach. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would you take the truth of your word and would you by the spirit sink it deep into our hearts and would you shape us by it what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear so as we think on friendship may we see Christ um, and may our hearts be shaped by him uh, would you grow us up into this way of living um, for your glory and for our good for the sake of Christ we pray amen uh, lots of concepts in Proverbs uh, have positive and negative expressions of them so the fear of the Lord there's a good way to fear the Lord and there's a really bad way to fear the Lord the devil He's afraid of him. You know, he believes, but he trembles. So fear of the Lord can be a really good and beautiful, glorious thing. It can also be a, a wicked, sinful, horrible thing. Uh, uh, our speech, uh, Proverbs 18, 21, just one chapter over, uh, death and life are in the hand of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Tongue can be a blessing. It can be a curse. Uh, you've got a wayward woman in Proverbs it ends with a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. So you've got all these things that are kind of good and bad. Friendship is like that. So I want to start with harmful friendship. Harmful friendship. If you, if you jump out of, the, out of the text and go to the first chapter, you'll, you'll see it here. Uh, verse 8 of chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shale, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So you have a father there warning his son about a friendship that could be harmful. They could take him in the wrong direction. And it's a warning that we should heed. There's a harmful friendship where you're affected by it, shaped by it, and you're moved in the wrong direction. 
One, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. It's probably not on your kind of memorization cards. It's not on your 50 verses of Scripture you're trying to remember, but I think it's one that men especially should know, and fathers or grandfathers should teach their sons or grandsons. I'll probably blow the quote, but let me give it my best shot. But Amnon had a friend, and his name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, the brother of David. And Amnon, no, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And if you know the story in 2 Samuel 13, you know the horrors that came out of the fountainhood, fountainhead of that harmful friendship. Uh, Amnon was taken down a horrible path and it was destructive. It ended up ultimately cost him his own life. It cost him, it, it, it devastated his sister. It destroyed his brother. It almost destroyed his father and it shook the kingdom to its core. And it all started with a friendship like this. Um, so be, be warned about that. Um, you're going to be affected by friendship. And if you latch on to the kind of friendship we're describing that can shape and fashion you, Jesus was a friend of sinners, so don't hear me saying that you shouldn't evangelize and you shouldn't have a friendship. You shouldn't have a friendship with sinners that is going to uh, pull you in their direction. It, it needs to be uh, a different kind of friendship than that. And you need friendships that will strengthen you. So there are harmful friendships that can be absolutely destructive. Uh, we should be really concerned about this parentally and grandparentally. There aren't too many grandparents in the room, I don't think, but uh, maybe two or three of us, but um, this is certainly on my mind. My oldest grandson turned 15 week before last, and I pray about, concerned with, you know, who is influencing and shaping Isaac. Uh, that, that's, that matters to me. And I got two granddaughters that'll turn 12 in the next well, no, one of them already turned 12 last week, and uh, the next one will turn 12 in January. And I'm thinking the same thing about them. I want them not shaped in this way. Um, uh, friendship has enormous power for good or for ill. So be warned about harmful friendships that can ruin you. And maybe right now, before we go any further, maybe some of you, maybe the Lord is bringing some level of conviction to your heart right now. And, and you know that you've opened yourself up to a friendship that's not helpful to you. It's, it's doing harm. Uh, you're being um, compromised, perhaps, or uh, tempted out of that friendship. And you need to do something about that. Or, or maybe you are the harmful friend. Maybe you've, maybe you've been influencing someone in a direction that, was, that just wasn't helpful. I remember a friend came to me for advice when I was a college student once. He came, he came for, me for some advice, and I gave him some horrible advice. I mean, I shudder at the memory of the advice I gave that brother. And the Lord took care of him, and he's got a son now that's godly and works for the International Mission Board and all that, so I'm incredibly grateful. But I gave him some horrible, unbiblical advice. I was a harmful friend in that moment, so don't be that. So don't receive that, but don't be that. If God's bringing conviction right now, just repent and ask him to help you to be a different kind of friend. Uh, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there's a, there's a, a, a few verses where Paul is, is saying, be, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
And in that, I think in the NIV, I'm not sure it reads this way in the ESV, but uh, it, it says uh, something like this, for what harmony uh, have believers with unbelievers or light with darkness? What harmony? And every time I hear that phrase, I think about um, family worship uh, in the Hussung household. And so we're singers or want to be. And so last few years when Jeremiah and Ben, our, our, we have four sons, our two youngest sons were still at home. Uh, we could sometimes in family worship, we could get uh, four-part harmony. We'd sing an old hymn, and Jeremiah would take the lead. Lisa would sing alto, Ben uh, tenor, and I would sing the, the bass line. And when you have the bass line, it's really your responsibility to keep, keep pitch, you know. And uh, I'm a very mediocre musician, and I have this tendency not to keep pitch, but to go, to go flat. And so some of you I know are musicians, at least one was, because... He was up here leading us beautifully, and you, you sang sing really well. So, but but so we would we would sing a hymn, four verses, five verses, a cappella, and by the time we got to the end of it, we were at least a half step down, if not a whole step down, and it was all on me. Bass line just kept, you know, going a little flatter and a little flatter and a little flatter. Now, when, now when that's happening, when when I'm going flat, the other three they're on the horns of a dilemma. They can they can stay true to the note that's written on the page. Or they can come slumming with me. If they stay true to the note, it's going to sound terrible. Because <laughs> I'm a half step lower than they are. It's going to sound horrible. If they come slumming with me, if they just come down, I'm a half step down, they're a half step down. We just keep going down and down and down and down. Then it sounds good. But it's not good. Do you understand what that illustration means for relationships? When you get in a shaping friendship like this that, that's harmful to you, when you're in that kind of relationship, when you're yoked up that way, you're going to care. You're, you're not going to like the dissonance that's created when you stay true and they go flat. It's not going to feel good. And there's going to be a great temptation for you to descend with them. So don't, don't do that. There's harmful friendship. Be aware of it for your own soul. Be aware of it uh, for your Friends, how, how does the book of the Psalms start? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. whole book of Psalms starts right there with this concept. So there is, there is friendship that is harmful. And then uh, there's friendship that's halted, that's halted. You kind of have it implied here in the text. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That kind of implies something negative, doesn't it? It's saying something beautiful, but there's a negative implication at the back of it, isn't there? And that is, there's, there's this friend that loves sometimes, but not all times. And there's a brother for, that's born for good times, but not for adversity. And if you, you just go a little further over, if you go to 19 verse 4, uh, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Verse 7, all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? So there's a fair weather friend. There's a halted friendship. It hangs in there. It does well. As long as everything's okay. But then when things get hard, it halts. Have you ever done that? Sometimes the temptation comes when the hard thing happens to your friend and, and you don't know what to say. 
And because you, you figure you need to say something and you don't know what to say, you just stay distant so you're not put in an awkward spot. Guys, that's not what love looks like. Um, I've, been, I've been pastoring for over 40 years. I can't tell you how often I don't have a clue what to say. I don't know what to say. We all feel that way. I, I was trying to minister to some family a few years ago, and um, this, this woman's, this young woman's father was dying, and I was trying to help her and her brother and her mother through it. And she looked at me at some point in that, and she said, how does it feel to always know exactly the right thing to say? And I was like, who are you talking to? Because so often, I don't have a clue. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to speak into that kind of hurt. It, it, but, it's, but it's okay. Don't let the friendship halt. One of, the, one of the saddest conversations I ever had at Rich Pond was with one of our senior adults who, who had been in a friend group all of his tenure there, in, in, in his life there. And it was a friend group of couples. And they would vacation together. They would go do stuff together. They loved each other. They did life together for decades. And then his wife died. And somehow distance came. I, 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 don't, I don't know which way it happened. I don't know if his former friends kind of withdrew because they were uncomfortable. Or I don't know if he felt like a third wheel because he wasn't a couple anymore. And he withdrew and they didn't chase him down. But somehow it, it went that way. And it was tragic. And after decades of friendship, it, it, in the time of his life when he needed them most, he didn't have them. And I just hope right now, you're just resolved. My, my friendship's not going to halt. Whatever comes, it's not going to halt. I may say stupid stuff. I may not always be as helpful as I could be. But through thick and thin, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. This, this is where it looks like Jesus, doesn't it? Because his friendship with us never halts, never hesitates. Never, ever don't have, don't have a halted friendship that, that hangs in there until it gets difficult. Often, often the time when you're most tempted to do that, when you're most uncomfortable, when you're most not knowing what to say, that's when you need to show up the most. That's when you need to be there the most. So don't let it halt. Um, be this friend that loves at all times, a brother born for adversity. Um, I was sitting with, I think, I think Carter and I were having a conversation, and, and I said, I'm going to preach on friendship. And he said, David and Jonathan. I said, no, I'm going from Proverbs, but I might go there. Well, let's, let's go there. David and Jonathan. Uh, you, you find it right at the beginning. The genesis of that is right after David and Goliath, isn't it? In 1 Samuel chapter 17. So like, Chapter 18, verse 1, maybe somewhere right in there, it says, And the soul of Jonathan was knit to David, and he loved him as his own soul. Now, that's kind of easy at that point, because David just won this great victory and all of that. But then they ride back into town, don't they? And the girls come out singing their little ditty. Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. And all of a sudden, Jonathan's dad casts envious eye on David. And it all goes downhill from there, doesn't it? And what does Jonathan do? 
I mean, it's easy to have your soul knit to a brother like that when he just won this great victory. You could even sort of ride his coattails pretty well. But when it gets hard and when David's fleeing for his life and Jonathan's dad is trying to kill him and Jonathan's dad even would kill Jonathan over this friendship, he stays true. There's one place where David is really hurt and he's really crushed by what's going on with him. And it says Jonathan showed up and, and it says Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. Isn't that beautiful? He strengthened his hand in God. Do you know how to do that? If you don't, you need to learn how to do it. Have you ever had anybody do that for you? To strengthen your hand in God. And then later on, there's a time when David has something and uh, Jonathan's not there. He can't be there. It's nearly the end of Jonathan's life. But David, uh, it's the attack on Ziklag, if I'm remembering right. I didn't review all this tonight. But um, uh, they, they come and they steal all the women and the children. And they come in and they find it. And uh, they find all of them gone and all their stuff gone. And they weep until they have no strength left in them to weep. And then they talk about stoning David. And it says something like, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. And he's like, how do you know how to do that? Maybe it's because Jonathan had strengthened his hand in the Lord, and now Jonathan's not there, but he knows how to strengthen his own hand in the Lord. And I'd say by reading the Psalms, he knows how to strengthen our hand in the Lord, doesn't he? I, I would say, did you not get a bit of that from Psalm 25 when Jody was reading it just a few minutes ago? So he knows how to do it, uh, but he learned it by receiving that, uh, perhaps, at least at some level. And then one of the great tragedies of that story is, isn't that when Oh, time after time after time, David needs Jonathan, and Jonathan shows up for him. And then at the end of Jonathan's life, Jonathan needs David. And it's not that David's neglecting. He couldn't be there. In fact, I think he would have been there. I don't know how it would have gone if he had gone with the Philistine king into that battle where Jonathan and Saul lost their life. I think David would have defended the lives of his friends But but if he'd gone into battle with Achish. But, uh, but Jonathan dies w without his friend, but... David goes through all his trouble, and Jonathan is, is right there. So be that kind of friend. Don't let your friendship halt. And then, third thing, helpful friendship. Helpful friendship. That's what we're pointed at here. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So uh, first of all, I would say a helpful friendship will be faithful. It'll be faithful. It'll, it'll show up. Um, when things are difficult, it won't stay distant. It'll, it'll show up. Um, but also sometimes the difficulty is not some tragedy or hardship or something like that. Sometimes the very brother that you love and care for is in trouble at their own hand and they need you to speak a word. So go to 27.6 and uh, really important verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So sometimes when you're going to have a hard conversation, maybe the first thing to do is to quote, Proverbs 27, 6. Um, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. <laughs> They're probably going to go, oh no, what's coming? But at least, you know, you've set it up. I love you. And that's why we're going to have this conversation that's hard. Um, I'm going to wound you, but I'm not, you know, uh, maybe the, the distinction is I'm going to hurt you right now, but I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to tell you the truth because... Because I love you. Um, now, a good friendship is going to be good at balancing those things. And, um, and, uh, and some of that faithfulness is going to be uh, encouragement and wounding. 
uh, read 1 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul's a master at this, isn't he? So he, he praises and expresses his sense that he can see evidences of grace in the lives of those Corinthian believers. And then he has some hard conversations later on in the book, you know. But he, but he starts that way. If you do that every time, as soon as you start praising, somebody's going to know, okay, there's a butt coming here, you know. So you, you, there, you, need to, you need to learn. There's an art to this, I think. But uh, grow up into it. Uh, but sometimes faithful friendship means speaking a hard word, a difficult word to hear, loving somebody enough to do it. And sometimes faithful friendship means speaking an encouraging word. And sometimes faithful friendship means a brother will wither under nothing but rebuke. You just will. Any friendship will wither if all you get is rebuke. Uh, so there needs to be some way to uh, do both of those things well. Uh, the Apostle Paul is a master uh, at it. So it's going to be faithful. I, I, it's, it's also going to be balanced. Maybe I just started about talking about balance that way um, between this rebuke and encouragement. So it would be balanced that way. It would also be balanced between words and presence, I think. Uh, one uh, cautionary tale in the scripture is Job's friends. I'm sure you know it well, but Job has all this tragedy, just one after another after another, like waves crashing on the shore, kids die, his livestock's gone, camels, the donkeys, I don't remember what all it was, but they're all gone, and, and it's just absolute tragedy. His friends come, and when they see him and how devastated he is, they weep, and they sit with him for seven days and seven nights, never even say a word. They just sit there, and they just share the hurt with him. And then Job opens his mouth, which hurting people will talk, and he did, and they couldn't resist. His theology's off. They've got to correct it. They've got to do the right thing. They've got to rebuke him. And it just really was not the right thing. And at the end of the story, they get rebuked, don't they? Because they just didn't handle it right. And, and sometimes there's no word that needs to be spoken at all. It's just show up and be there. And don't speak that word. Uh, don't try to correct their theology or anything like that. Just be present with them. Uh, like Christ who shows up and is present in our suffering. Another balance that I would call your attention to is between friendship and, and marriage. Now, I don't mean to draw a big distinction there. I hope your marriage is a friendship. Mine is. Lisa's my best friend, and I'm thankful for that. But I think one of the modern errors is that because we fall all over ourselves to say our spouse is our best friend, that we begin to think that all our needs are met in that relationship. And I think that's a... I think it's a major mistake. You need friendships, same-sex guy friendships, uh, external to the marriage. It's a, it's a problem because of our lack of friendship, and it's also a problem because by this error, we put way more freight on the marriage than God ever intended it to carry. We just really did. Our, our wives, I think they know this. Lisa needs, she needs girl friends, and praise God she has them. And they're a great blessing to her. It's a wonderful thing. She is incomprehensible to me. We're in our fifth decade together, and I'm still figuring her out. She's an exciting study. I, I love her, but I'm still kind of clueless frequently. And I'm sure that's difficult for her. 
for her husband to be clueless about her. But she's got girlfriends that just know. I mean, she doesn't have to say anything. They just, they just absolutely know what's going on. And, and it's natural. And, and at times, I mean, every relationship like that is not like that, but some of them are. It's effortless because they just understand each other so well. And this challenging, sanctifying dissonance in a marriage between a man and a woman that's, I think, by God's good design, but she needs that. But, but you need it too. You need it too. You need friends that understand you, that love you enough to tell you the truth, that know how to encourage you, that know how to strengthen your hand in God. You need a healthy balance between the friendship of your marriage and the friendships with God's external to that marriage. And then, and then, and then a, a helpful friendship will be centered. And it'll be centered on Jesus. I mean, when I look at this text, I can't help but see Jesus. Don't don't you see him? Uh, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Well, who is that? I mean, the best friend I've ever had. I wouldn't say he loved me at all times. And he didn't show up at every adversity. Um, but Jesus does. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He's always there. Uh, look at 1824. Uh, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's, that's Jesus. And, and, and so uh, a helpful friendship is going to be centered on that. How do you strengthen someone's hand in God? Well, you, you, point them to, you point them to Christ. You point them to him. You remind them of the gospel, the treasure that Jesus is. Uh, that's where strength is found. He's the source of strength. And so these friendships centered on Christ, on him, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the friend that loves at all times, the brother that's born for our adversity, you center it on Jesus. I love, I love the story of the Good Samaritan, and I love to read it like this. That that guy in the ditch, broken and bleeding and left for dead, was me. And that Good Samaritan, uh, despised and rejected by men, that crossed the road and poured oil and wine into my wounds and bandaged me and put me on his own animal and carried me to safety and paid an exorbitant price to the innkeeper so that I'd be healed and helped. That's Jesus. It's Jesus. And every friendship has to be shaped by his character and who he is. Friendship is so central to the, to the gospel. I mean, part of your responsibility at Christ Fellowship and our responsibility at Rich Pond is not just to message the gospel, but it's to mirror it. It's to reflect it. You were doing it beautifully while we were eating. I just watched you guys. It seemed rather apparent to me that you all love each other and you like being together. That's a really beautiful thing. That's a good thing. And so it's, it's, it's part of the way you mirror the gospel because we worship the God who's three in one. He, he's always been that way. He's always been in relationship. Uh, that's just who he is. And, and so when we love like that, when we embrace those kind of friendships, we're reflecting the very center of his character. We're mirroring who he is. So uh, a helpful friendship will be centered 
on Christ. And then fourthly and finally, embraced friendships. Embraced friendships. First of all, uh, see your need for the friend that sticks closer than a brother. 1824. See your need for him. Can you see yourself as the one who needed the Good Samaritan? Can you see yourself as beaten and bleeding and left for dead? Or, according to Ephesians chapter 2, dead <laughs> under the wrath of God. Um, some of you, not yet in Christ, under the sound of my voice right now. Uh, you don't know him. And you're offending by your refusal to believe him and, and repent of your sins. You're, you're increasing your sin. Uh, you're justifying his wrath against you. Every breath you draw is at his permission, at his sustaining grace. There's no breath, no beat of your heart apart from him sustaining that. And you're offending him by your refusal to repent. That's true. And yet he's so kind and so patient. And he died to redeem sinners just like you. And it's what you need. He's what you need more than anything else. So why wouldn't you repent and receive the only friendship that really will satisfy you completely? Receive Christ in repentance and, and faith. See your need for the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then see your need for friendship. Are you going to be like the quote that I read at the beginning of this sermon? Where you're, that's you, you're that kind of guy. I don't need anything. Uh, all I need is Jesus or I don't need any friends. Uh, one of my favorite books on ministry burnout, the third chapter title is by Christopher Ashe. I don't remember the title of the book, but the third chapter, I think the title is, God doesn't need friends, but you do. It's true. God doesn't need friends. He already had friends before he ever created us. You know, he already had friends, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't need friends, but you need friends. And Jesus, in his humanity, exemplified the need for friendship. On the hardest night of his life, he wanted his three closest friends with him. They didn't do very well. All they could do was sleep, but he wanted them with them. He needed his friends. And if Jesus needed friends, you need friends. You need friends. You can't be too big. You can't be bigger and stronger than Jesus. If he needed them, you definitely need them. See your need for friendship. And then be a faithful friend. Be one. Follow Christ in this. And when you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to be, that's, that's the very time where you need to show up the most. So be there. Now, Dave Pallison, in his little book on sanctification, talks about the things that God uses to sanctify us, to change us. And he says, uh, the Word of God and the people of God um, and, and, uh, and trials. Trials. Those are three of the main things that he says God uses. His word, his people, and trials. And so if that's what God uses to sanctify us, then when a brother has trouble and you have the word of God and you're his friend, then the, then the opportunity there for God to do something for him uh, is enormous, enormous. And it just can't be missed. It, it can't be, uh, friendship can't be halted in that moment. So uh, seize the day, seize that day. I think I'll pray. I don't know how y'all end these. I'm sure I've gone long. Dylan gave me the 30-minute warning. Uh, Five-minute warning, I guess it was, not 30-minute warning. <laughs>
Uh, you're glad it wasn't the 30-minute warning, anyway, a while ago. So let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, forgive us when we failed in this way. To be like you. Uh, thank you that when we confess our sins, you forgive us. Uh, Lord, would you uh, transform our hearts? Would you make us men who are tenacious? who run to our brothers in their adversity, in their trouble, who show up and stay put in their lives. Lord, help us. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.